Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Hello, welcome to our VIPs podcast. You're listening to Conversations with Pastor Sam Paul And today we have the honor of having our very own, the amazing Lynn Brown join us and share her amazing story. Lynn, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Great day. That's Yes, it is a great day. Lynn, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm 74. Yeah. But I can't tell you all about myself. In 74 <laughs> years, I can't in this short time. But I moved to Newcastle five years ago with my husband when he was sick, left Tamworth after 40 years in Tamworth. But it And it was an amazing move. We moved to be with Stuart, our son, and his wife, Kate, who didn't have any children at the time, but then they had our beautiful Otto, so that it was very exciting. We moved here because Alex was sick and we needed family. Alex felt he needed family to be here to care for him. And we did it. It was hard. It was hard for me to leave Tamworth. My work as head teacher at TAFE, I had to leave it all behind, but I came here because that's where God was leading me. And I believe now that was. At the time, it was hard to believe it. But it's an amazing place to be, and I'm really happy that I'm here now. Awesome. Welcome to Newcastle. And how many grandchildren? You know, you said your student had any children back then, but, you know, he got blessed with another yes. we US moved. We moved to be with Stuart. Well, they were the only ones who didn't have children. Our Kate and Matt had four teenagers. Well, some teenagers. That would have been tricky. So Stu didn't have any children, but now they have Otto and Ezra, and it's wonderful to be here seeing them grow up because many grandparents can't see that, and I hadn't seen our other grandchildren, our grandchildren in Colorado I don't see. And now with lockdown, I don't see our Brisbane grandchildren, so we have 12 grandchildren. 12. Amazing. That's awesome. 12. Beautiful grandchildren. (laughs) That's awesome, Lynn. Can you pinpoint the day you became a Christian or was it a gradual process? A bit of both, I'd say, Sam Paul. God always had me in his sights. I believe God used my family to sow the seeds. Beautiful. How did your family influence your journey towards accepting God? Well, God had his hand on me a long time ago. Dad, right back to my dad's father. My dad's father left him and their family, the three elder sisters and his mum, when he was about eight years old. They had to leave their home to live with his grandparents in a little farming village of Mogrigai, 16 miles west of Dubbo, where they did live. They had a shop there, the grandparents, beside the railway station where they sold newspapers, lollies and small goods to the locals and passengers when the train stopped to load. It was a loading place for grain and produce and rabbit skins. The first winter, though, after his dad left, his father returned and took all their blankets for his new family. When my dad was in his 80s, he was given a photo of his father. He took one look at it and tore it to shreds. He could never forget the hardship his father's leaving had caused his mother and their family. I can't ever remember Dad discussing his father. It was not long after the Great Depression and time was really really difficult. Dad trapped rabbits 
This is from eight years old and worked for some local farmers to provide some of the necessities. He was now the man of the family at such a young age. His three older sisters were quite a bit older than him. I believe God was there in those years, long before I was born. On one Sunday each month, my dad used to walk barefoot across the paddocks to the church, the little church in Mogrigai. Uh, the service was led always by travelling by travelling ministers from a variety of nominations. Dad told us about the time he trudged through terrible weather to find himself the only parishioner. The minister did the whole service just for him and to his disgust included the collection. His elder sister got work in, in a pub in Dubbo, so he left school at 12, could you imagine that, and joined her to work as an assistant, cleaning and rolling barrels into the cellar. He left Dubbo before the war to work at Goodyear Tire Factory in Granville, where he stayed for 27 years, but that was interrupted by World War II. That always declared the most important officer in the, during the war was the Padre, especially through the tough times fighting an often unseen enemy in rugged, wet, bug-filled jungles of New Guinea. Dad became a lifelong friend of the Padre he'd served under. He joined the army underage, and I think the Padre represented the father he'd never had, a godly, kind man who gave him hope. New Guinea Dad also learned about mateship and trust. You could trust your mate. We always could trust our dad. Despite that early experience of his father, he became an amazing loving grandfather and patriarch to the whole family. Friend and helper too to so many until his passing a few days short of his 99 years. Life could have been so different if he'd followed the example of his own father, but he overcame that legacy to become the person God meant him to be. His mum was a loving, kind person and wonderful nana to us. She was a great cook and she learned, she'd learned the hard way during the Depression and having to fend without a husband. In the days you didn't get any extra payments. After remarrying, when she followed Dad to Sydney, they still had laying hens, fruit trees and veggie garden. She crocheted, preserved their excess fruit and veggies and made the best green tomato pickles. I remember <laughs> when she was in the nursing home at 96, I was determined to ask her for that pickle recipe before she died. I got it. <laughs> yes. My mum grew up in an entirely different atmosphere. Her dad became a primary school teacher after he returned, returned from the First World War. He trained for six weeks at Armidale Teachers College with his brother, then taught in one teacher schools throughout the state until his retirement teaching all ages in one classroom. It was a skill and he managed very well. He married my grandmother during one school holidays as he was told he could have a position at Derby's Falls near Cowra, but only if he had a wife because she was needed to teach the sewing. It was an important thing to learn in those days. Their last appointment was at McKees Hill, halfway between Casino and Lismore for probably 20 years. During those years, my mum went to Lismore High. She married my dad in the middle of the war at Lismore and my brother was born at Casino quite some time later. I remember great holidays at McKees Hill, but sadly have terrible memories of going to their usual 8am Anglican church service at Casino and kneeling for what seemed like hours during that long communion service. 
They both had a strong influence in my life. Nana taught me to knit and sew. They introduced me to music in a new and beautiful way. And on that holiday, when I was in fourth class, my grandmother taught me the Lord's Prayer. Grandparents can make such a difference, and they did. Mum's parents were skilled musicians. Nana had a degree in music and taught the piano. In those days, it was very early to have a degree in music, the early early 1900s she got that degree and taught the piano. Yet Papa had a deep baritone voice. Nana accompanied him when he sang. I will never forget him singing the Holy City for the first time at their home at McKees Hill and later after he retired in their lounge room when they moved to Sydney. Our amazing mum followed the example set by her parents and passed on her love of music and skills to us. Wow, Lynn, what a legacy that you have in your grandparents and your parents. You know, you, you said dad, but I think uh, some of our listeners may not know who your dad is. Uh, your dad is the amazing Dick Payton. Yes. You know, uh, we, we've, you know, I've saw his uh, on the news, him, you know, read about him and, you know, what a legacy that you have in your family. I would just want to, uh, like, take a moment and honour your dad for what he has done and for this nation, um, for us. Um, yeah, he's such a hero. So was there a moment you decided to take Jesus into your life? Yes, well, I needed to do it for myself, I guess. I certainly did. Uh, I'd just grown up with this loving family who had taught me about God, but I needed to do it myself. So I remember clearly the 30th of September, 1958, was my brother's seventh birthday. Dad had driven the family to Austinmere Beach on the south coast in our old Willie's car upgraded from the Indian motorbike he'd bought after the war and had built a sidecar which fitted three kids until there were four. Dad always took his overalls on those trips as he invariably had to do some mechanical tinkering to ensure the car got us home. (laughs) It was a grey windy day right at the end of September as you see. We had the beach to ourselves but mum said we could swim in the tidal sea pool. My elder sister, Jenny, and our younger cousin, Jane, who'd lived with us, between us and our nana, since her dad had died, were what mum called water babies. We soon got bored with this pool, though, and ventured into the surf. I still remember the cross flags signifying the beach was closed, but we still dived in. Danger is not so clear when you're 12 years old. Danger is right. It didn't take long for all three of us to be carried out by that rip in the wild surf. Mum was helping the two younger kids build sandcastles, but when she looked up and saw we weren't in the pool, she was horrified to see us all being swept out by that raging surf. Although she was an exceptionally strong swimmer, she screamed out for Dad, who was still under the old willies, as he ripped off his overalls. He threw Mum his his wallet and ran into the surf. Now, Dad was a Dubbo Dam swimmer. I still don't know how he learned to surf because he had come from Dubbo. As far as I know, he wouldn't have had lots to do with the surf. Now, Jane was the closest. Dad got to her and managed to get her back to shore. He then swam out to get Jen and dragged her in. Meanwhile, I was going under every wave. I 
still remember being swamped every time the wave broke over me, sending me to the rocky ocean floor, then pushing myself up above the water, only to be sent back under by the next wave. I've been taught to put your hand up when you're drowning, but I had no hope of doing that while I struggled with both hands and feet, dog paddling to keep my head above the water. Then it was like an epiphany, a moment of sudden and great revelation or realisation. I prayed. I made a deal with God. The words remain with me to this day. I said, God, if you save me today, I will be yours forever. On that day, in that raging surf, I made a lifetime decision. Dad tells a story how, of how when he got to me, he was nearly, well, he was already exhausted. But then I nearly dragged him under in my panic. He thought we would both drown. He was convinced we would. But God was there. When he finally, against all our odds, dragged me to safety and could barely stand, a man who was on the beach watching it all said, you did a good job there, mate. Dad didn't have the strength to reply and is not sure what he would have said, but he sure could have done with some help. In his later years, he was asked in an interview what was his greatest achievement in his long and industrious life. He replied, saving Lynn from drowning. Wow, what a story. Wow. It was a miracle. <laughs> it, is, it is a miracle. Wow. I, I had some near-death water experience and I can relate to it. It's, it's, not, it's not fun. It's very scary. But what a powerful moment, though, in that crisis you chose to say yes to Jesus. That's amazing. Do you have a, a Bible verse that you feel has been significant in your life? Quite amazingly, yes. Uh, straight after that, not long after I was saved from drowning, I was in the school library and the librarian led me to a book. Now, I don't know why God was showing her, obviously, in all these things it was called. I can't remember one jot of the story of that novel, but I've never forgotten the verses on which they were based. At that time, it really meant something and has continued to mean it to me. Romans 8, 37 to 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That verse addressed the stages of my in my life where God has been developing me over these 74 years. I can look back, as many of us can, and see God was always beside me through every difficulty. At the time, you can't always see it, but you can look back and see it. And the death of my husband, Alex, was there in that verse over 60 years before. But I know God is by my side still guiding me through the difficult times. The angels and demons were always nearby. The fear and dread that came with Alex's diagnosis of motor neurone disease, but God provided the angels too. How did you cope with this fear? Uh, Alex's neurologist, Dominic Rowe at Macquarie Uni, ran a bi-monthly clinic where Alex saw him and saw him and all the allied professionals involved in motor neuron patient care, including dietitians, speech and physiotherapists, 
It involved four, a four-hour appointment. That's where we were introduced to the Motor Neuron Association, who stressed that it takes a network to care for an MND patient. This is how I cope with the fear. Can you explain what you mean by a network? God provided that network. Our network involved a huge number of people. Our amazing wide medical fraternity, Alex had been involved in Tamworth and in Newcastle and in Sydney. Our church community, family and friends, they provided spiritual strength, medical advice and practical assistance in so many ways. I had no medical training, so the Motor Neuron Association encouraged me to do theirs to enable me to know what to expect and to be prepared with the skills I needed to help Alex. My eyes were open to both angels and demons ahead. I learned about the equipment you would need, but they loaned it out. Lifters, mattresses, shower chairs, computers, they trained me to use that equipment. The fear at other times came in the person of real people, people who wanted to be helpful. MND is so different from other diseases. I play tennis, you should try it. It helps your muscles said one friend. MND researchers found that muscles are used up by exercising. So you don't exercise. Another piece of advice was to use your mind. When I had a stroke, I spoke to my hand. I've got a strong mind. My hand's good now. Nothing changes the end game for MND. In all this, did you feel that God was with you during this time? I know God was there with the people he provided, the church, our family, our friends, medical people. They were all amazing. It was very unreal in the early days when Alex's diagnosis was unclear. There's no single diagnostic test for MND. Other diseases are eliminated by testing until the symptoms progress, and then there's no doubt. We prayed. Everyone prayed. I couldn't really believe that diagnosis. All would be okay. I only knew that Alex had gone from being a capable, highly revered country GP, gifted musician, computer expert, most of all, loving father, husband, family member and good friend. He loved and worshipped God with his whole life. He couldn't talk. He couldn't move. He could never get comfortable. I made so many cushions, large and small, curved and straight. But it is impossible to totally replace muscles with cushions. Wow. Yeah. It just, um, uh, when I hear this, it, you know, I met Alex when um, when he came to Newcastle. I think prior to that, maybe at the Hillsong Conference a couple of years ago. Like, you know, True. About four, four mm-hmm. years ago. But I've never kind of imagined the pain that he would have been going through and thank you for sharing with us today you know you you said that uh, you have some training but how did you manage to look after Alex through this disease well first just to correct we didn't he didn't motor neuron people don't usually get pain it's just being uncomfortable it's interesting that there are so many things that you do have but it's the it's the discomfort that is the difficulty, I think, rather than actually having a pain because the neurons are actually gone. For my whole career, I'd been an adult educator. 
I certainly was no nurse. But the premise of adult education is that adults learn what they need to. Adults will not learn unless it will benefit them. I needed to learn how to make Alex as comfortable as possible. God helped me learn to use the cough assist machine, which normally would be used in hospital by a physio, but I had an hour training. It was used when Alex was choking. It pushed air into his lungs, then reversed the pressure to remove the secretions that were causing him to choke because he couldn't swallow. His own muscles didn't work because those neurons that activated them were lost. I learned to attach and regulate the BiPAP machine, which differs from a CPAP sleep apnea machine that many had heard of, which deliver continuous pressure during sleep. The BiPAP machine has two pressure settings, one for inspiration and a lesser pressure for expiration. expiration, Because the lung muscles for breathing are lost. This was terrifying. It was terrifying to wear that mask because Alex had no way of taking it off himself if he was choking. So I had to be listening carefully for when he made a noise. I learned to use a lifter. Mostly you needed it with help. But in emergencies, I could do it by myself to move Alex from his bed to the bathroom or into the electric wheelchair. I learned to sleep in 10 to 20-minute blocks. Amazing how this can happen. God was there. When Alex lost the ability to swallow anything, I learned how to feed him using the peg tube, which enabled him to have some nutrition, all his nutrition, and medication fed via the tube that's surgically inserted straight into his stomach. I also learned to reinsert the peg tube when it became dislodged. For instance, when a carer was showering him or I was changing his clothes, you just had to bump it and it would come out. And his stomach contents poured onto the floor. Not easy and not a pretty sight. I was happy and I was able to research, buy and drive a suitable wheelchair vehicle and found the brilliant Toyota Noah that no one else has heard of (laughs) on a long trawl through the internet and disability sites and sales areas I drove to Sydney to look at. It was a grey import. It had been built in Japan specifically to transport wheelchairs. The whole chassis lowered so the ramp hit the ground to allow the wheelchair smooth access. It didn't have to be on a level surface. The hill worked. So it was an amazing vehicle. I could measure morphine to the slightest mill while Alex watched and checked. It wasn't allowing me to give more. And finally, crush and put all his medication through the peg tube without causing blockages. God was there. In all these things, I was more than a conqueror. I admire your faith, Lynn, and you and Alex, the whole family faith in this tough time. What helped you to become closer to and rely on God during Alex's illness? Well, Alex's mind was still very alert and functioned fully, as happens with motor neuron, until his last hours. He could still listen to his worship music and pray, but he was reliant on us for everything. For everything, I could not imagine living in that situation. At first, Alex lost the use of his left hand but then he gradually lost the ability to walk and to do anything for himself. We came closer to God then because so many others helped us. God provided people to be there. 
it was either them or I, we read scripture to him, which he really appreciated. God used the Bible gateway on my phone in the dark hours of the night to calm him. He got very agitated in the night. So those verses seemed to be just specifically for us and gave us amazing strength. Alex listened to worship music. It played a major part in keeping him calm. Prayer day and night from others and from us, from me, with him. Stu brought his guitar to the hospice and baby Otto, because by then baby Otto had arrived, and our children sang and played for him. Whoever was there picked up the guitar and sang. And when everyone was there, it was wonderful. Alex even pleaded with me to sing the 23rd Psalm to help him go to sleep, something that neither of us would have ever imagined. I'm no singer, but God was there. That happened quite a while before he went to the hospice because it was calming and God used that. And I use that 23rd Psalm now. I sing in my head to help me go to sleep when I'm feeling like I'm missing him and not able to sleep. The network of God's people, especially our family and close friends, made a difference. They assisted in his care, read to him, sent messages, came at a moment's notice. The people like Anjay, Lynn McAtamney, all those helped us to become closer to God. I love that how Alex chose worship and prayer and scriptures as part of his journey. You know, mm. I remember Stu sharing the testimony and I was actually, I could remember that moment where um, Alex was still reaching his arms out at the conference mm. at the, in Sydney and worshipping. And, and it's just a beautiful, um, beautiful love that he had with his father, Heavenly Father. Mm. And it's just beautiful. Lynn, did you feel that God had failed you at all on this journey? Because many people would say, Lynn, you know, you've gone through so much. Your family has over the generations too, not just with Alex, throughout this Did you feel that God ever failed you? God had given Alex to me for 49 years to love and to learn from. He was a wise mentor and my friend. He led our family. He was our rock. He brought us all closer to God through his actions and his example. God did not ever fail me. I have great memories of good times now. Patients with MND rarely lose their faculties. They can still see and hear and think quite clearly. On the morning of his last day when Alex was having such a struggle to breathe, because that's the way you die with motor neuron, he asked on his amazing eye gaze computer, which he only had to look at to be able to write words, why is it so hard to die, he asked. That's when I wanted him to die, to be released from his misery and to go to his God. From that first day of his diagnosis, He said he was prepared to die. It was so heartbreaking to watch him fight for breath while waiting for release with the next morphine dose. But our comfort was knowing that he was prepared to meet God. Our four children and I were all by his side when Alex left us and finished his race. Our Kate and Stuart live in Newcastle, but Greg had arrived from Colorado just over a week before, just for a visit to check on Alex. Phil had flown down from Brisbane the day Alex was admitted to the hospice. He went to work 
and then got a plane down from Brisbane. This could have been so different, but God brought us all together for that one last time and we knew he was there with us. That's amazing. It's truly amazing. Wow. How do you think your early years have helped you in life? My years at church, we went to Sunday school firstly up the road at the Lutheran church, and then we went to the Anglican church, but we were only quite young when we went to the Lutheran church because we could just walk up the road. I taught Sunday school and then went to Christian Endeavour, and they were valuable in the growth of my faith. Our deaconess who led Christian Endeavour was an inspiring and loving teacher. Five years on beach mission showed me that there were so many people out there who needed God and taught more about teaching than anything I learnt during my teacher training. Beach mission was such a good training ground to learn. I believe my grandparents, my parents, and especially my eldest sister all had a huge influence on my life. They always encouraged and guided us to be the best we could and to use the skills God had given us. Parents and grandparents are so important in the lives of young people. That's true. That's awesome. So, well, my last question to you is, have you got some encouraging thoughts for our VIPs, not just our VIPs, but any listener, many of whom are work- working through difficult health or family problems? A significant quote from Peter Griggs, unanswered prayer course, which I did with our Connect groups, with a quote from a 16th century Scottish Presbyterian pastor, Samuel Rutherford, who said, grace growth is best in winter. Trees planted in winter grow deep roots, giving them strength and stability. God knew I needed those deep roots to grow. Winters come and go, but I continue to hold on to God's promise that Nothing will separate me from the love of God. Beautiful. Thank you, amazing, Lynn, for so honestly sharing your story, the impact, the legacy, and the words of wisdom. You know, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, It was really hard for me to ask those questions because each answer that you gave was just pulling everything not only to me, I believe for every listener that have listened today. And so I really thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you here with us. In closing, would you like to pray? And thank you for having me. And thank you for your kindness. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the heritage each one of us have. Our families, the people who've come into our lives, my deaconess, our ministers, our Sunday school teachers, People we don't realise at the time, but we thank you for those, the strengths that we've been given by that heritage. And we thank you for Alex and for how much he taught us and for the love that he gave us all. And he taught us how to worship. Thank you, Lord, for that. Amen. 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 Thank you, every listener. Um, There's still a surprise for you. We have an original from our very own Stu Brown singing for us today at the end of this podcast. Hope you have a great time. God bless you. Lord, help me to slow down. See the beauty around. 
It's always been there It's like I've just started looking You've been calling us closer Right from the beginning Here in this moment children are listening here in your presence you're speaking of destiny deep in our hearts you're revealing your mystery and we are inviting your kingdom come your Spirit, you are. 